Thank you so much for listening to the audio version of our podcast. If you prefer an extended cut version with extra content, there's a link to our YouTube page on our website at letgoddie.com or you can follow us on Facebook. Also on our website, we have a support tab. If you'd like to contribute to what we're doing and help us continue sharing the stories of God at work, you'll find a link to our Patreon page where you can pledge as low as $1 a month and help us continue putting out episodes of the podcast. And I did want to give a little bit of a heads up. Most of our episodes do contain some content and language not suitable for children. Thank you for your time and on to the show. Welcome to Let God Die, the weekly podcast sharing stories of God transforming lives through changing perceptions of who He is and what it means to follow Him. We believe that commonly those who reject God haven't experienced the truth of who He is, and that those who follow God often have false expectations or understandings. Together, we can take those perceptions of God and let them die, so God can live. All right, this is the Let God Die podcast. This is Josh. And this is Calvin. And our guest today is uh, Johnny Anomaly. Um, hey. Yeah, so hey. that's uh, Johnny's like stage name, his uh, writing name. Right. Um, I came across Johnny, uh, well, I guess I think Chris Bernstorff introduced us. I was putting together um, a uh, poetry compilation, and your name came up, and uh he lent a track for that and um yeah he, john had me on his podcast recently and um yeah it's, it's just cool to like see how connections are made even though we haven't met in real life but um yeah johnny if you want to just kind of like share a little bit about uh give us a give us a, a summary of who you are and what you're about yeah man so yeah it is really cool that we haven't officially met in person but uh so far we've had several conversations uh via Skype or, you know, Google Hangouts or whatever. So it's been really cool. Calvin, it's so great to finally uh, meet you through this. So, yeah. Dude, same. Definitely looking forward to this. And as John- you said, of course, Johnny Anomaly is my, my stage name. My real name is John LaBeouf. But uh, I came up with the name when I got invited to do this uh, this jazz club in New Orleans. And it was for a friend's birthday party. And, like, what I love so much about doing spoken word poetry is that it gets me in places that are just – like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily go there otherwise, you know. Yeah. Um, like in the middle of New Orleans and being like one of the only white guys in the club. But the fact is, like that's what I love about doing spoken word poetry is that it's opened so many doors for me to be able to, you know, just kind of show my skills and and be able to glorify God through that in in ways that, you know, it is. I, I feel like when you're ex- when you're good at something, you know, it it's in a way where you know, regardless of what you look like, who you are, if you're good at something, then you'll be invited, you know? And, and so I just felt like the spoken word community just kind of invited me in, in a big way. And, you know, after doing something like that, like I probably look like the last guy that would be in a jazz club in downtown New Orleans. I mean, like heavy set white dude with tattoos, like on a stage, <laughs> you know, and it just didn't to a lot of people, it didn't make sense. But, you know, I just kind of thought about that, like, well, just in general, like who I am and what I do, like around here, we don't have many spoken word poets. And so um, normally I am the, the white guy <laughs> in, in kind of, you know, in that scene. So it, and I always have been like I've always been that guy, that guy who just kind of uh, stood out in that way, you know, and I just kind of embraced the fact that of 
being kind of different in the uh, spoken word community and, you know, just being different in general because, I mean, like I remember I had, I had the huge gauges. My ears were gauged like an inch and a quarter. Like, you know what I mean? I had the, my nose ring and everything. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it just didn't seem like it would fit. So when I tell people I do spoken word, it's like, yeah, okay. But then, you know, it's kind of like you present it and then you kind of earn their respect through that because they're like, oh, I see that you practice or I see that you really, you're really committed to this. So it kind of, you kind of earn respect that way, you know, and that's how mm-hmm. I've always felt is that I'm just kind of like a guest in the, in the house of spoken word poets. And, you know, I think that's just one way where well, you just have to just stay humble. And, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where the name came from. And when I think about Johnny anomaly, like it's, it's catchy. It just like, it rolls like right off the tongue, I guess. Like it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks man. So <laughs> it sounds like, it's like when you hear the name, it's like, I wonder what he writes about. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I I mean, I wonder too, and we can ask him. Which is <laughs> we can? Yeah, yeah. It's we crazy. can do that? What do you write about? <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Yeah. So what what I write about originally, it was uh it was it was pretty dark. Like it was just some uh, some dark themes and that was mainly due to um, you know, some some know my story. Um in 2012, I uh I lost my son. Um, he was stillborn and I, I started doing spoken word poetry as a means to cope, a means to kind of, uh, walk through this grief, this pain and all of this frustration and all these things. And so a lot of the, the, my first album was called inspired by tragedy. And it was just that, like I started out with a list of 10 song titles. And before that I was doing, I did it like I was an acoustic group. I did metal. I did like alternative. I was just, I always wanted to be a performer, but I never thought I'd be doing spoken word, but I just basically took the lyrics from my notebooks that had just been kind of compiled and, you know, started doing spoken word poetry. Um, they had an, an open mic night one night here in a, well, actually, no, it was actually before that. I'm sorry. It was toward the end of 2012. I booked white collar sideshow and Levi, the poet to come perform at my church and had no idea what I was getting into. I'm, I'm friends with the guy with, with uh, the guys in white collar sideshow, but I wasn't, I just got into spoken word poetry and Levi was kind of one of the first ones. And so after seeing him perform, I'm like, wait, you can do this with just words. Like you can, like it just blew my mind. Like, and so mm-hmm. it was, you know, um, it made me want to perform. So a few months later we had an open mic thing in a, in a sh- uh, for a show in new Orleans. And we were doing like, an acoustic set and the crowd really wasn't paying attention. And so I spit some spoken word and then the crowd just kind of flocked to the stage. And I thought, wow, this is, this is cool. Like they like that. But when we got into our acoustic set, they were like, no, no, we don't want to hear that. Like we want the other stuff. I'm like, I don't have anything else. Like that was just basically to get their attention. And when I noticed it caught their attention and when I started getting like phone calls in the middle of the night from friends who were like just struggling with porn and stuff like that. Cause I had a, I had a poem called uh, walking backwards in the quicksand where it was talking about my, my struggles with porn. And I was just very open about it and getting phone calls in the middle of the night from friends who were like youth pastors. And they're like, dude, I'm struggling right now. Like I, I was like, you know, about to look at porn. And I listened to your poem and like, I'm in tears. I just had to call you and tell you. And I, that to me, I just thought was like, wow, like this is powerful. This is, is, I never knew like all I had to do was just talk before it was always like hiding behind a band or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. 
I didn't know. I didn't realize the the the, the magnitude of it, the, the weight that it carried to just speak openly about these things. And as the years go on, um, I, the subjects get lighter. Like I have a poem called Bangarang, which is about the movie Hook and you know stuff like that. Then I have deeper poems from child loss to you know poems to my daughter and my wife and about bullying i have poems about so many different topics pretty much i mean from abuse in the church um i have it it, it varies man and it all depends on the mood I, it can go from really like they're like i i, I label myself the pissed off poet because it just seems <laughs> like it's always too aggressive you know and people have told me like you're just too aggressive and i can't listen to you like it's just one of those things but then it depends like you might see me and i'm doing a lighter set and i'm just kind of just you know, having fun and you know wordplay, or I'm pissed off before the show, and I'm just like, "This is what I need to say, and this is what you know. These, this is the set I need to have, and you know, it, it varies." So, mm-hmm. um, I just I basically structure, you know, the poems just on how I'm feeling, and I don't I don't limit myself. I think that's the greatest thing about doing spoken word poetry is if I want to write a poem of just worship, like I have one called Yeshua and Doxology, and you know these poems where it's just like worship, but then poems where i'm just really pissed off and frustrated and i can say that too you know and it's just never kind of limiting myself or really putting a filter on it you know and that's one thing that i feel is liberating and very cathartic for me as a as a poet as a presenter as a performer you know yeah yeah so, so thank you for asking me that yeah so it yeah, s- started off uh i, mean, I guess uh, as a result of dealing with loss huh and um yeah i mean it was what was, was your thought like um, that you were ever going to do anything with it or was it more so like this is just like a, a personal like outlet? Um... The only poets I really knew of was kind of like Levi. And then I started getting into like uh, the Humble Beast guys like Propaganda and Odd Thomas. And, you know, listen, to those guys do spoken word. I before that, I had no way because no one around here did it. Like even to this, like even in my in my my town of Homa, Louisiana, like I go to high schools and kids have no idea what spoken word poetry is so most of the time i'm their introduction which is kind of cool but it's really just kind of sad because it's like there's so many great poets out there you know and yeah. so toward the end of classes i'll introduce them to like uh, propaganda stuff um one class i, I presented a uh, honest mujgani he has a poem called shake the dust yeah i present i i showed the kids that one and i showed uh, the kids propaganda's be present you know and they Good. were just like, oh. mind blown like wait a minute like we can you can literally just rhyme words and just talk in front of a crowd and present this. It's like, yes. And it seems some, it seems so practical and something. So, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's nothing new. I mean, you're just basically just speaking, but, um, when you see a light bulb go off in a kid's head, like, wait a minute, I can do this. And, and, you know, to have those conversations with kids and, for them to now do spoken word poetry is just, it's incredible, man. And I, before that, I had no idea. I didn't know you could do anything other than, you know, um, I didn't know how far it would go or how far I would go. And, you know, so far it's just been really good. And, and like I said, basically it just started out as I've always written. So I've always had notebooks. I still have notebooks just piled like so high from just years of writing. And when I started doing spoken word, I started going and picking some lyrics here and kind of Frankensteining these, these poems. And that's kind of what put them together. Like my poem, um, I had a poem called monster behind the mask. That was just a collection of maybe four or five different poems that I just picked from and kind of put together. And, you know, 
but before that i had i had no idea i had no one locally to look up to or anything like that i just had to look beyond and that's why when you know i was presented with the uh when you had um brought up about the compilation i thought wow like to see other poets and listen to other poets i mean i, th- I thought it was incredible but basically it just started out as a means of coping that's that's really all it was for me sometimes that's really all it is most of the time too so mm-hmm. i feel like sometimes a lot of them can take an approach where it's just spoken word and it's just all terrible it's like <laughs> let's talk about everything bad in the world and yeah. it resolves on well life sucks let's get used to it rather than like hey let's point out all these things that are just offered missing and let's have it resolve on something and I guess like for you, since I haven't and I'm not super familiar with like a lot of your artwork, like is that something that you're very is that something that you do like in, in some of your pieces? Do you leave a lot of it open ended or do you have a lot of it that actually like resolves? I guess. Like, Man, that's or- that's an awesome question because no one's really asked me that. And the fact is that I always want to resolve at the end. I never that's always been man. That's always been my intention since like the beginning, I think with anything I've ever written, as, as long as I've been doing music and, and lyrics in general, I've never wanted to leave the audience in question. I yeah. always wanted to end with some sort of resolve. Even It could be the darkest and most depressing piece, um, but it always ends in, in some sort of resolve. You know, I, I can't for, for myself leave someone hanging or leave someone... Um, kind of in the dark, you know, I always want there to be some kind of light at the end of the tunnel, like, Hey, this sucks. And this is horrible. And maybe the first minute of the poem will be just me, you know, hashing it out or whatever. And, but toward the end, like I have to, I have to get back to, okay, but, but this, you know, and I mean, I talk about, like I said, the loss of my son and that's, that's deep, that's heavy. That's, that's so hard. But at the end the resolve is I have confidence. I have faith that I will see you again. I have, I have faith and confidence that, you know, that everything that I've been through, all the crap that I've been through, that God somehow has a purpose for all of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through all of that, that's, that's all I'm doing is that is trying to show people that yes, there, yes, it can suck and things can be horrible. And, but there is, there, there is a resolve, and and that's one thing that I feel like is very important in music in general. I personally don't like songs that just kind of life sucks and it's hard, and that's where it ends. It's like okay, but yeah. <laughs> is there anything else? You know, it's kind of uh, I don't know. It, yeah, it's kind of like uh, last resort is the only song that really comes to mind. I don't even know why, <laughs> but it's kind of like that thing. Like okay, like cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Like suffocation, no breathing don't give a you know it's like okay but no no that's it that's it like that's, that's the song. It. Like, my life sucks i'm i'm just done and that's it like come on man like i don't know i just feel like there's there's has to be some kind of solution and i feel like as artists i think we're kind of in some ways not necessarily responsible but anyway well kind of i i think i i mean i wouldn't want someone to listen to my stuff and just be you know, and realize that there's really no end. It's just this never ending circle and there's no solution. There's no, you know, way out. I always feel like there's a way out. And, yeah. you know, I try I, to express that in my lyrics. I enjoy talking to you about that. Uh, 
like on your podcast, just about, you know, like the responsibility aspect of things, you know, yeah. that's not insincere or a lack of integrity to, uh, mm-hmm. to be responsible, you know, um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you can still be sincere, but like, see it as like, I don't know, like a privilege to be able to even express yeah. these things, you know, um, and not to be careless with it. Um, I right. guess along the, the lines of what you're talking about, I was wondering, uh, most of the time when you're writing, let's, let's just say that you are delving into something that's really deep and, uh, and painful and tragic. Um, would you say that you have like the resolve and end in mind often, or does it usually come as a result of the process? Result of the process. Sometimes yeah. when I write, I'm just really pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I just have to get this off of my chest. And if I would act, like if I would just act on it like that, if I would just write something and then that night present it to a crowd or something, yeah, it, it would be, you know, but as, as the writing process goes and as I, I kind of, you know, because I feel like sometimes it takes me so long to finish a piece that by the time what I was so frustrated about in the beginning, I just kind of like, okay, I have to finish this piece though, you know, and it's <laughs> like, I, I want to finish it. <laughs> so it's like, by the time it does end, I'm kind of over it sometimes, you know, and, and that's, you know, I, I, I did have a poem called, um, like I said, there's a poem called fake that has to do with abuse in the church. And it was, it was really aimed at a priest. It was just this stuff I was just hearing and it just, it came out like it just spilled on the page, you know, and I kept it as it is. And, you know, um, that one has a resolve, but it's just basically, it ends with, um, there's no excuse for the abuse. And that's basically mm-hmm. the end of it. That was like, here I am talking about these things. Like they are fascist leading black masses guilty of harassment. In fact, this is a protest in the form of a poem against such establishments. And I'm talking to this as a protest against this and all of this abuse and all of this stuff. And, you know, and toward the end, you know, where I'm like, there's no penance for stealing innocence. There's no excuse for the abuse. You know, it's just, that's where that's how I felt and I just felt like I needed to say that I felt like mm-hmm. you know and so that poem although it, it might not seem like it has much or much of a resolve there toward the end of it the reason why I'm saying all of this is because there is no excuse for the abuse there's no excuse for someone in power to take advantage of someone else you know due yeah. to position or whatever like and that's kind of you know w- with that poem in particular you know mm-hmm so sometimes I just sound like a jerk. Most like, <laughs> like if I just like, you know, it's like, wait, this guy is serious. <laughs> so, no, I, I think that's really good. Yeah. I think it's, it's really, really good. Um, like you mentioned, like the, like there's no excuse for the abuse. Like that's just a true statement all the way or like all the way. Like, yeah. like a lot of that's really, really heavy. And a lot of those things aren't like healed overnight. But to at least point to the fact that, hey, like these things flat out just are not okay. They're like inexcusable. Like that's yeah. that's that's completely a hundred percent understandable affair. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like yeah. totally. And like you were saying, and like stuff that's happening, man. Yeah, like as as part of that process too of writing, like it would it would seem really insincere like before you started writing the poem, if you already had the end, I guess like in mind to say like Right. Not like a band aid on like the bleeding wound kind of thing which is like an easy answer type thing like that not anything cheap but like almost to rest on the piece that you're doing and process through it as you're working through it yeah i feel like that that produces a better like result even because like at by the by the time you say like you're over like what happened you're actually able to process it clear 
you have the balance of both where like you have just raw emotion and you have emotion that actually meets like counsel over time and it yeah. kind of like balances out for sure man i always yeah. say my art is kind of like when ptsd meets creativity it's just kind of those things <laughs> that just go together you know and that's really what it is you know whether it's um experiencing not not physical abuse in the church just rejection from churches and stuff like that and man that causes you to become bitter and pissed off sometimes and so that comes out a lot in, uh, in my writing where even like throughout um the my history of just being a christian you know for the past 16 years and and just churches and just the way they operate and being a part of churches and just seeing and being rejected by so many different churches and you know um having that experience makes me really bitter because it's like god like why why am I even still doing this? Like, why, you know what I mean? And that's another thing that causes me to be an, an anomaly in some ways where it's like, I really don't fit in anywhere. Like, I, I feel like I'm just kind of the odd man out. I've always, always have been, I feel like. And I guess I'm comfortable with that. And I think embracing that name is just saying, hey, I'm cool with being the odd man out. I'm cool with being different or whatever, you know, but uh, everything I do, I want to glorify God with it. And you know, I mean, you read through the Psalms. I mean, you see David broken. You see him bitter. You see him like, yeah, yeah. You know, but then you see him rejoicing. You you see this throughout. You know, and you almost think he's kind of schizophrenic. Like on one hand, he's like, God, where are you? You've abandoned me. And then on the other hand, he's like, You've. When have I ever seen the you know the righteous forsaken? Mm -hmm. It's like okay, like uh, you know. But uh, that's kind of my poetry in a nutshell. It's kind of like, wait, where's where's he at? You know. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. Which, I mean, it's like, yeah, schizophrenic or just a, a human, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Or a uh, exactly. human. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love um, just uh, the concept behind your podcast, too, John. Um, but it's called Thank you. Creative Coping. And I think that yep. that just very much reflects your writing style, you know, just like that for you. It is, um, sure. yeah, a, a creative measure to uh, move through life. Um and I guess kind of walk us through a little bit of your story of coming to Christ and uh, I guess maybe arriving at this point of, um, yeah, I don't know, the the current point of uh, trying to like tell other people's stories of how they're creative coping and, and whatnot. I, yeah. I know that that could be a long, long deal, but wherever you want to take that. As far as, so what I talked about with uh, spoken word poetry and basically, it's the same thing that I'm doing with my podcast. The only difference is, is now I, I'm kind of passing the mic to other people because that's yeah, yeah. never been my thing is to just hold it all to myself. Like, I want to, like, you have a story, you want to share it? Great. Come on, let's do this. Like, that's really as simple as it is. Like, I'm never about taking all the spotlight or, or my story, my this, my that. I always feel like just our stories are what connect us, man. And through our testimonies and stuff like this, we can see how great God is. And although we don't go too deep into theology-wise, I mean, I have so many people that come on the show from different religions and they, they believe different things. But, you know, behind the scenes, it's just one of those things. They know where I stand. They know what I'm about. And so I'm just giving them, some of them, don't have the platform to to do this you know it seems like to us it's so easy for us to just hit record and you know have a conversation for a lot of people it's they want to do it and they really just don't know how and so it's mm -hmm. like i just some friends of mine are just like hey come on man let's you know let's do it like i would love to hear your story and i think your story can impact other people and 
and and some of them don't even look at themselves like they're anything. They're like, well, I'm not really anybody. It's like, come on, man. But you have a story. You've Dude. been through some things that you can share yeah. that people can benefit from. And that's what I'm about. I'm really, I just enjoy people's stories and doing open mics and performing with so many different people. It's like hearing their story from the stage. It's like, we're more alike than, you know, people may realize. And so yeah um that's when that's the beautiful thing about like with the podcast is pulling people together who have been through some serious trauma or just been through some, some serious things in their life and now they're using art as a way to cope and now it's it's opening the door for other people who are experiencing other things to where they're not um staying silent about these things i encourage my listeners every week to speak up stand out and stay creative like speak up about the things that you're always told to stay quiet about the things that you know that are bothering you, your mental health, all this stuff, like speak out about it. Like someone else needs to hear that, you know, that they're not the only ones dealing with this stuff. And that's really what it's about with, for me, you know, and, um, that's what it's always has been for me. Like I said, I started doing spoken word poetry before I even knew anyone even cared to listen. So that's the same thing with podcasting. I just started doing it, not knowing where I was going to go with it. If I was going to have guests at all, if anyone would even be a part of it, you know, want to be a part of it. You know, but it's always been with that in mind. Like someone needs to hear this. Someone I believe needs to, this is going to resonate with someone. So it's always with like one person on my, on my mind when I go to record something, it's like someone, although it might not be received by the masses, there's one person at least, I always do it for the one that Mm -hmm. is going to get something from it. It's the same thing with performing. Like when I perform, it's not even to a crowd. Normally I hone in on one person that I feel like needs to hear it. And 99% of the time, it is that person who just needed to hear it, who wow. just comes up and is just like, you know what? Tonight, dude, I don't know. I came here and I'm depressed and I'm going through all this stuff. But like what you said, it felt like you ripped pages out of my notebook and you're reading them aloud for people. And you were staring at me the whole time. And, you know, it just it, it goes so much deeper than just going up there and doing a performance. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wanting to reach people like I'm really wanting to get and get to know them and and in a way that otherwise like normally i'm not the guy who wants to be the center of attention normally i'm the guy kind of in a corner quiet but when i get on stage when i get in front of an audience i'm going after that one like i'm looking around the room and i'm seeing and i just you know sometimes it just it just clicks you know where it's the the kid who kind of starts off with his arms crossed and trying to act hard but then by the end of it he's in tears because what I said, you know, impacted him in a way, but it's not me. Like that's, that to me is the Holy spirit. Like I have no, there's nothing special about me or my words that, you know, because I even think about it. I'm like, this doesn't, you know, but it's, it's God, man. It's Holy spirit that, that draws people that way. And I can't, I would never take credit for that. So to see that and to know, want to know people's stories, even though they feel like they're nothing, I always feel like people, someone out there can relate in some kind of way. And that's just what kind of drives me and kind of encourages other people and to be kind of a motivator for people to just tell their stories and, you know, yeah, what because I, you never know. I mean, that, when you said like people that think they're nothing or whatever, uh, one of my favorite things in the world is uh, anytime that we ask someone to be on this podcast and their response is like, um, are you sure that I'll have anything to say? You know, it's just like, (laughs) dude, like, uh, you have a life, you know, and like (laughs) God has worked in your life, you know, um, whether you think that 
it's, you know, whether you think that it measures up to somebody else's or not, like, um, the reality is like, you're, uh, you know, you're a loved son of son or daughter of, of God. And, uh, you know, like he's worked in your life, you know, and people need to hear your story, you know? And I, that's one of those things where, um, I don't know. I, I think years back realized that, um, a lot of there's a lot of space for coming together and worshiping God together, um, and doing business with God. Um, and that's necessary and important, but sometimes we don't make enough space to like, to share stories, you know, and to share like, all right, where is God at work in the here and now, you know, like, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times, like I'm in a, in a small group or just like people that I've known for a really long time. And we've never really like delved into, all right, like, yeah, what's, what makes you tick? And, you know, like, uh, in what ways has God interweaved your life? You know, um, how has he impacted you? You know, and sometimes it's either that, uh, they think that their own story is insignificant or, um, I don't know, it, uh, maybe they're, uh, they haven't had open eyes to see where those connecting points, um, have been, you know? Um, right. but, I, but I think just like making space for that kind of thing, uh, whether it's a podcast or whether it's just like being intentional with, um, interpersonal communication, asking questions that you normally wouldn't, um, I don't know. It's just yeah. a beautiful thing to see, um, just the body of Christ work in a way where you can just be like, yeah, like, I don't know. I believe that God was active thousands of years ago, but I believe that that same God is active now, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, sure. and that, uh, we miss out a lot when we're not sharing, the stories of God at work in the here and now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it could become easy too to just zone in and focus on all the cool stuff he's done in the past. That, like, I think me and you've talked about this before, Josh, where like the Lord is always constantly looking to do a new thing. And if our eyes are constantly focused on what happened and what used to be, yeah, as yeah. if our glory days are only behind us and like, we live our whole life in a rearview mirror, not knowing the whole time we've been invited to so much more and we miss out, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear your story about how you came to Christ and just kind of, uh, yeah. I mean, even just moving into some of the, some of the things that you struggled with, um, after coming to Christ, you know, not just the before, but, um, just kind of yeah. walk us through your journey. Okay, I'll try to make this quick. But uh, so it started 16 years ago. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, as you know, as a kid, man, I uh, I grew up um, in in a broken home, man. My parents got divorced when I was uh, really young. Mm-hmm. They were uh, man, they were very abusive, and so you know, both physically and verbally, and just you know, they just didn't get along. They were young parents, and my safe place was always my grandparents' house, and my grandma taught Sunday school, but even as a kid, I remember I didn't want to be a part of it. Like when she would host like Sunday school at her house, I was outside with my brother, like playing in the yard. Like there was, I, it was never something I even wanted to, you know, I mean, I would go to church every now and then, but I'd be like drawing in a notebook or writing in a notebook. Cause even as a kid, like I always had a notebook with me. I always was writing or drawing or something, but, uh, fast forward a few years, I'm 14 years old and you know, I get invited to this church and um, it was by my cousin. And at first I was going to go. She was there. She was, uh, she was actually the pastor was there who had brought her to pick me up. And I was like, yeah, I think I'll go. Well, I started thinking about it. I'm like, I don't want to be a part of that. So she goes outside and I'm like following behind her. 
But then, like, when she turned around, I just slammed the door. I'm like, I'm not going. This is stupid. <laughs> like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and and it wasn't like I didn't believe in God. It was just like, God doesn't want anything to do with me. Like, who the hell am I? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it wasn't like I was really bitter towards him. I mean, I had kind of a rough upbringing. Like, a lot of my childhood, I just really just felt unsafe. Like, that's the best way to put it. You know, um, just certain situations where I just always felt unsafe and just felt like, if God is here, like, you know, I don't know. Like, I doubt he would want anything, anything to do with me. But a friend of mine told me that, you know, at the church, they let you play the instruments. And I thought, you know what? I want to learn how to play bass. I, I, hey. I, that'll be it. Like, I'll go there. I'll learn how to play some instruments, learn how to do music because I've always wanted to be a musician. I'll go there and I'll, uh, I'll learn how to play bass and I'm out. Like, that's, that was really my plan. Like, I was going to go learn bass and I was out. Like, and, uh, yeah, they would have youth nights on Saturdays and I would go and yeah, start playing bass and they would do like a a short lesson, like 30 minute lesson. And I'm like kind of, you know, tapping my knees, ready to get back on the instruments. And, you know, I just thought I was really cool. You know, I've never, you know, played an instrument before. And so that was kind of my introduction to it. And I just gradually kept going, you know, it kind of just, uh, I kept going and, uh, I actually met my, who is now my wife, but, uh, I uh, met Jamie there. She was actually going there to, uh, because her parents basically were like, thought it would be like good for her to go to this youth group uh, to give her, you know, something better to do on a Saturday night than go out with friends wherever. So it was kind of like a punishment for her. And for <laughs> me, I was just going there to learn how to play and then I was out. But I ended up, uh, this was around 2003, going into 2004, ended up uh, getting saved, man, New Year's Eve night. And I just, you know, I, uh, you know, um, yeah, I believe I was just, I was just saved that night. And it was just funny because I, that was, I wasn't even what I went there for. I didn't want to hear anything about God. I just wanted to go and, you know, learn, learn how to play and be a musician, you know? And, uh, throughout the years, you know, I've been to different churches and stuff and, you know, my teenage years, um, like I said, I started gauging my ears. I had my lip pierced and, uh, I started trying out different churches and I was, uh, I was really shocked to find out, you know, how judgmental and how legalistic churches can be. I remember I went to this one church as a teenager. I was about 17 or 18. So I was saved for a couple of years. And, you know, um, one of the, one of the, one of the things that really drew the way God just drew, drew me to him was through music. And I talked about, you know, going to this church, but even during that time, there was this, uh, there was this punk rock band called twice born. They were a local band fast loud just hardcore punk band and they were christian and so their lyrics were like exalting christ and it just that was so weird to me it was like what how did that doesn't even make sense i remember everyone around me was like what are you listening to what is demon hunter what is that but it's like you know and and it was just that's what I, i was just drawn to before that it was like slipknot like the slipknot's first album and it was just like i i loved heavy aggressive music and when i hear it in this way it's like wait this is insane. So it's like the best of both worlds. Exactly. Right. So fast forward a few years later. So I already look like the odd man out before tattoos or anything. So I'm like, you know, um, and I go to this church and I'm, I'm in the front row and I'm just like, man, I'm just worshiping and I get surrounded by these people and they're like, can we pray for you? And I was like, yes, absolutely. And <laughs> they go on to start praying for the demonic holes in my body and all this other oh stuff. God. I'm like, what the hell? Like my hands are raised. I'm just like, what the hell? 
and like realizing that like wait a minute you're not praying for me you're praying for me because you think i'm some kind of like like who do you think i am you know and yeah it was about the demonic holes in my body and even throughout the churches i've been a part of now now granted i'm I'm 30 years old i've never tasted alcohol i've never smoked like anything so straight edge to the core if that's whatever but i remember i was at this church one time same kind of situation scenario years later um actually my first my daughter uh, my first daughter was born uh, nevea and i was up front worshiping again and this guy comes up to me and he's like hey man the lord told me you drink you have a drinking problem and i'm thinking oh my gosh He's just like, can I can I pray for you? I'm thinking, no, I don't, what? And I was just shocked. And he goes on to like pray for me and all this stuff. And I'm like thinking, God, uh. your people are really screwed up. Like the past few years, like you know what I mean? Like God, like I love you, but these people are freaking, I don't know, man. Yeah. So like, there have been a lot of instances even throughout my 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 faith journey, and you know, um. So I know I skipped a lot. I know I'm kind of bouncing around, but kind of fast forward like i said about me and my my wife jamie um we eventually reconnected a few years later this is 2008 i'm going through a breakup and um she reaches out to me through myspace whoa it's like hey how you doing i'm like i'm good and and through that we just had a conversation and we reconnected and started talking and stuff and started dating a few weeks later and moved really quick within six months we were living together like she got pregnant within our first year together. Like we just started like everything was just crazy. So I was at a point in my life where I was kind of frustrated, you know, this is like 2008. So I was frustrated with God and just the way his, his people like treated me throughout just years of just like crap of, you know, and I've always wanted to be involved in ministry. I've always wanted to be, um, involved in one way or another you know whether it was on the worship team or or teaching or whatever you know and it's just like never almost feeling like you're given that ability to do that so i became very bitter around that time but one thing jamie and i were like jamie was wasn't a christian at the time and i was and even though i was kind of you know backsliding in my faith i still every morning was digging into God's word. I still wanted to know God. I still believed that he was good, even though I was in my own sin and I was you know, dealing with dating her and then she's pregnant yet. I'm looking at porn when she's in the shower. So it's like, dude, I'm just going through all these things, but yet I wanted to love God. Like I, I wanted to be devoted to God. I wanted to, you know, serve him. And even with doing all of that, I was still doing like Christian music and I was still doing like stuff, which is crazy to think about until one person caught wind of it and they're like, wait, you got a kid? Like, and you're not married? Like you can't perform here. And I was really hurt about that. But then, you know, after a year or so of realizing like, you know what? I was wrong. My bad. That's not cool. But ended up marrying my, my wife, Jamie in 2010. And we've been together ever since, man, we've been together ever since. And we've been through, like I said, child loss in 2012 and we now have three kids. So four kids total. So yeah, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> But it's one of those things, man, where even within the past year, kind of just, I know, just skimming through the years, like even within the past year of kind of getting in that same spot again, man, where we helped launch a church. We were there for a couple of years. I was on the worship team. Like things are going great. And then there was an instance where we basically got kicked out of the church due to my daughter having uh, had a bit a kid or something like that. Um, and what it was, was the family that the kid that she bit, she was defending herself because he had pulled her hair and then she bit him. 
And the thing was, like, the family, that was, like, their first Sunday at the church. So it was better to tell us, like, hey, you guys might need to take a step back, um, discipline her, because this family's new here, and it would look really bad if we, you know, if their kid, even though he started it, you know, y'all might have to take, like, a step back. So it's like, what? That doesn't, okay, what? You know, and and us, yeah, and just us respecting them. And it's funny, because I've mentioned this on, like, a podcast before, and, um, and that's that's the thing. Like it was like, wait, okay. And so I'm thinking, okay, now we're back in church. Everything's good. We've been there for a few years. And then Zoe does something like this, and it's like, wait, why? Like, why do we have to basically take a step back and you know show that we're disciplining her when she didn't even start? It? And so we really didn't give it any give anybody any lip. We just decided they were like, well, being that we have so many services, you can come to. Maybe you can come the one with the kids and then Jamie could stay behind or Jamie could come and you come. It's like, no, we come as a family or we just don't come. Yeah. Well, we ended up taking a step back for like a year and we finally decided, you know what, we're going to go back to the church. And when we went back, it was like, oh, why didn't you tell us? The pastor's wife was like, why didn't you tell us y'all were coming back? And it's like, well, we didn't feel like we had to, you know, like y'all are our people, right? We launched this church with y'all like, and yet. Like we go stand in the front during worship and we're looked at like we have like this third eyeball and it's like, what is going on? You know, and it's just hmm. and it was this it was this weird thing that I don't know what was going on behind the scenes or, or what happened. But we ended up I was just like I was fed up. I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. God, like your people have been screwing me over like since I've been saved. Like, I, I think I'm done. And, you know, um, I was really frustrated and you know I, I'm not proud of it, but I mean man, middle fingers to the sky, like F you God, like I'm done. Like I'm so done being let down and being abused and abandoned by the church, you know, and it became very bitter, man, where my kids wanted to pray and I'm like, no F praying. Like I'm not praying. Like it's not going to happen, you know, and until God just like wrecked me and made me realize that I wasn't as much in control as, you know, I would have liked to think that I was, you know? And so by that, just meaning like, okay, God, I'm done with you. Stay away. Get back in your corner. Like, no, God just wrecked me in a way that was just in the most loving way, you know, and that's basically the best way I can put it is being completely wrecked and restored by God. Like my faith in him, um, being better than ever and him revealing himself to me in a way that, you know, I realized I was very deceived in the church I was at. And that, that just so happened to be what got us out of the church. And then when we did go back, you know, when I'm lining up notes and I'm lining up the notes to the Bible, the pastor's notes to the Bible. And I'm like, this is so out of context. Like this is so screwed up. And it wasn't God who I should have blamed. It should have been the church and the, the, the way the pastor was just kind of manipulating the people and stuff like that. And that's where I was. And even now, like we were at a church and now we're not in a church. So I'm like, we're currently like unchurched right now, but you know, until we find the right one, you know, um, I guess it'll be that way. But uh, so far, man, yeah, we still have, we do Bible studies and everything with our kids. Um, We do all that stuff. It's just, man, unfortunately, we're not connected to a local body. Um, Mm -hmm. My friend Dexter, who was a pastor, uh, recently retired. And so we get together, um, him and some guys, you know, friends of ours, we get together and, you know, basically guys that were kind of hurt by the church and we just kind of rally around each other and just kind of iron sharpening iron, um, helping each other out, you know, and kind of building each other up, you know, and 
that's that's where I'm at now in my faith. I didn't mean to kind of take too, so long with that, but uh, that's where I'm at now. And kind of that, I guess you can kind of see the pattern almost throughout the years of just like hills and valleys, hills and valleys. But yeah, uh, yeah hopefully we find something soon, man. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. And I'm yes, sorry yeah, that no you've problem, had man. that. I didn't mean to be so long-winded. Nah, I'm sorry that you've had that experience. Like, uh, can, yeah. you, can you share a little bit about like um, you reference like God getting a hold of you again? Like, um, yeah. I mean, it sounds like that you're not in that bitter like f you God place now. <laughs> but uh, no, I, no. I, was there like an instance, uh, or is it just kind of like unexplainable Holy Spirit getting a hold of your heart type thing? Like what? What was the the shift there? It was a video by. Uh, are you familiar with Vody Bakum? He's a pastor. Yeah, Vody. I'm Vody Bakum. No, Vody Bakum's well, awesome. It was, dude, it was his message about a sissy Jesus that really kind of wrecked me. Where I was like, wait, it's like God really isn't any more powerful. Like if I tell him to get in a corner, he gets in a corner. And when I tell him to f him, like he's not. He's just going to leave me. He's just going to abandon me because he can't handle my attitude. That's a sissy. Like that's, that's a pansy God. Like if God really can't deal with that or deal with my attitude, then what kind of father would he be? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But that message that he preached, like I remember just going scrolling through Facebook. And then after that, it was guys like RC Sproul and guys like, um, it was, it was some John MacArthur stuff, but it was like reformed guys. And, it, it was like, wow, these guys are actually preaching scripture, like expository preaching. Like there's no, well, I think this scripture means this. And I believe that God's, it's like, no, it says what it says to who it's to. And, you know, the mm-hmm. context of it, context, that's something that context and theology is things that you really don't hear around here. It's really kind of sad, but it's like, who needs theology when I got Jesus? Like that's kind of the attitude, like. And that's what I kind of fell for where it's like just and and really just kind of um, coming to, to that point. And my friend Dexter helped me out a lot. I remember he uh, he reached out to me and he's like, dude, like the stuff you're posting is like solid. That's really odd considering the church you were a part of and stuff. And he's like, you want to get together sometime? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and then come to find out he was a uh, he was a pastor and um, he's like, man, you should guys, you guys should come and check it out. And what I really enjoyed about you know is that it was just that it was expository preaching it was it was the exposition of the word and it wasn't about us being the hero in the end you know like mm-hmm. um like uh oh man what's his name uh chandler um matt, matt chandler. chandler's his name matt chandler with the whole like you're not david like you're mm-hmm. not you know and that's exactly it like in the whole time in my relationship it's like hey god i'm done with you get back on your, your little cross and just stay there. It's like, no, God is a, he's a fierce God. Like he is a jealous God. And he's also, you know, realizing that the kind of father he is, it's like, no, I love you way too much to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, be like, not, like, like my kids told me, like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like my kids tell me, like, if I say, Hey, come here. No. Um, really? Like, you know, you want to <laughs> think about that for a second? Like, and, and I'm going to get my kids to me. Like I, and that's, whether that takes force, whether that's saying, Hey, come here. No. Okay. I have to, gra- whether I have to grab them by the wrist or whatever, it's the same way with God. Like, like in certain circumstances, like when we think about that, when a wandering sheep goes off, you know, 
it, it's even been said like by shepherds, like they'll go and they'll hit the leg of that particular sheep to hurt it. And they'll put it on its shoulder, on their shoulders and carry it back to show the sheep, to discipline the sheep. And I feel like God does the same thing with us. He doesn't, he doesn't spare the rod with us sometimes. And sometimes like, sometimes we need like a good passionate ass whipping from God to where he just kind of reminds us like, Hey, <laughs> like I'm your father and I love you. And you know, it, it's not me. You should be mad at it's, it's this, like you, it was, it was, it turned into righteous anger where I felt like God was being, you know, uh, presented as this pansy, as if he's this God that can't handle us at our worst, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that's not the God I know because I know so many times of being just broken and completely just, you know, have nothing else to say, but just curse words toward God. Cause I'm just so angry and just bitter at him and his people and just all this other stuff. And when he lovingly just, you know, shows you through his word, through just comforting you through prayer, I mean, that's that's the father I know, you know, and it's sad that so many ways he gets, you know, distorted his his the way people view him as so weak, you know, and as pathetic, you know, mm-hmm. to poor little Jesus died on a cross. Man, he needs us to accept him, mm-hmm. accept him into our hearts, man. He's just, you know, it's like God will come in like and just wreck everything to show that he is God. And it was through like certain messages that hearing that and certain things, even in my life to realize like, man, I'm not in control of anything. Like God, like I make my plans, but the Lord orders my steps. Like that's control. Like that is a powerful God. And you know, and that that's what, that's what I kind of want to convey to people that, you know, man, I know for a fact, like he is not some sissy Jesus, (laughs) like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, with with that, uh, I was just thinking, like, I think a lot of us have never been honest with God, you know, just like, um, th- there was a point in time that I was just like, man, I don't know if that I really believe what uh, what I want to believe. I don't know if that's the be- best way to word it, but like, uh, or maybe I don't believe what I what I should believe as a Christian. Um, yeah. And really just getting honest with, like, the fact that, like, man, the way that I'm living does not point to what I claim to believe. Um, and, uh, yeah, just really getting honest and just saying like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess I don't believe these things about you, God, you know, and I don't believe that, uh, that you're good in some ways. Um, and it was just kind of like, I think that really getting honest with those things is the start of the process of growth. Um, instead of, instead of that being like the abandoning of the pursuit of him, um, you know, uh, there was a point in time, uh, and this was a, a poem I wrote uh, years back. Um, I think I called it "I'm Giving Up," but like the the whole concept was uh, it was kind of like a dialogue, um, kind of a monologue, like pouring out to God, um, and then kind of like uh, I guess uh, conveying like God's response to that. But um, I was at a point where. Uh, I was just like, man, I just can't do this anymore, you know, like, uh, and I was at a point where I wanted to just completely give up and abandon uh, God in my life. Um, But it was like in that moment, just realized like, uh, there's a very thin line between like giving up on God and giving up to him, you know, and like, uh, it's kind of like when we hit that kind of like that point of decision um, where the rubber meets the road, it's like, all right you're in a place where you can either surrender or 
completely abandoned, you know, um, and without getting to that place, I was never, you know, in a posture to, yeah, to, to, uh, get to a point to actually give it up to him. Um, and that was scary as all get out. Cause I was just like, I don't know what this means. You know, like this could mean that everything that I've, uh, believed, um, that I'm turning my back on, you know? Um, and really I think it was like, yeah, just the love of the father, you know, like meeting me in that moment and being like, up, oh, you're, you're, you're that close to being there, you know, like, uh, um, but in this like moment of desperation, um, I don't know, just him just like showing up and being like, all right, you get it. You know, it's not all about your effort or your understanding, you know, uh, if anything, it's, a, it's about like coming to the end of yourself, you know? And it, for me, that looked, uh, that looked like just, uh, I don't know, realizing that like my self-righteousness does not mean anything, you know, um, where, uh, you know, for some people that might be hitting rock bottom and completely ruining life. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I feel like it, it was like the same in a, in a sense for me, but it just like manifested itself a lot differently. (laughs) Yeah. I've been there so many times before, man, where it's one of those things. And like Jesus said, like, you know, um, my sheep hear my voice and yeah, you yeah. Know, um, the father draws to Jesus and Jesus won't turn those away. So there's security yeah. in that. There's, you know, the fact that yes, my righteousness, as Isaiah said, it is, but filthy menstrual rags, like, you know what I mean? To yeah. the nostrils of God, like, you know, but just like Paul said in Philippians, dude, I count it all loss, you know, count all his dung scubala, you know, mm-hmm. but to know in Christ, you know, surpassing glory and also like it's cool to know that the father is like thoroughly committed to his work uh in us to see us completely conform to the image of christ like philippians 1 6 like he who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of christ jesus like that always keeps me in a place of for one knowing and understanding that my relationship with 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 the lord is not contingent on the things i do or don't do but like my willingness in a moment, even if I'm completely wrong and off to be corrected and recoursed by him. And like out of that place comes the beautiful things, you know, and it, it's, it speaks to his heart too. the fact that he's not a derelict, like he's not like the sissy you were talking about where he's like so hands off or so insecure that he needs us to love him. But right. like he, he doesn't need us at all. Like he's mm-hmm. in himself self-sufficient, but in his love for us, he desires us to be a part of what he's doing. Like, as if like, you're a dad, of course, like having daughters one day, if you're like outside working on the yard or working on a car, your kids, like, I just want to help you just toss him a screwdriver. Like, you know, the kid's not probably getting away more than he'll help. But the fact that he wants to be a part as a dad, like you honor that, you know, Mm -hmm. and like how much more does our heavenly father, like just want us to be a part of what he's doing. And even if we mess it up or miss the mark on it, like he's there to like make sure it all works to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So like there's no ruining it. Like we don't risk failure, but we have the joy of becoming. And like that encourages me a lot. It's definitely encouraging. It, it it's been like really striking me reading uh like Matthew and Mark recently, just that um, you know, like Jesus while he was walking on earth sent out the disciples, you know, like two by two, um, at a time, you know, or, uh, I don't know, he could have very well 
gone about things without screwing everything up. Um, but you know, just like placing that in their hands just like, yeah, preach and baptize, you know? Um, and even just the fact that like, we don't have record of, uh, of Jesus himself baptizing. There's a, there's a place that talks about like Jesus isn't and his disciples went and baptized. Um, but then there's like kind of the distinction of, uh, Jesus himself was not baptizing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but just that he was just like, yeah, these, uh, these random dudes who are, you know, fishermen and former tax collectors and guys who still don't get it. And one of them is going to betray yeah. him, you know, and like him having the knowledge of where their hearts were, but he's still like, yep. Like I'm inviting you guys into this, you know, and it's not, I'm inviting you once you're, uh, once you get it and once you're all cleaned mm-hmm. up and, uh, once you understand what I'm up to, but like, I'm inviting you now, you know? Um, yeah. which makes no sense at all, but it's such no. a beautiful picture of God's love and just like, yeah, his, uh, his design to invite us into what he's up to. It's crazy. Yeah. And to call us first. So it's, it's one of those things like even with the disciples, like they were called, you know, before they were necessarily, I know people say it like you were called before you were qualified, but yeah, you're yeah. really, I mean, like Jesus says, follow me. Uh, no, like, no, they didn't like, they just, okay. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to think about that, like drop everything. And I think when we, like you had mentioned earlier about being, uh, you know, being called, like those called according to his purpose, like there's no, like we're called before the fact that we're going to screw things up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God, even knowing our hearts, no, we're going to screw it up, but knowing calling us anyway, you know, and that's that's grace man that's mercy that's man that's love you know <laughs> that's gospel <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> realist and raw is like to see something that isn't and call it what what it's supposed to be yeah like there's true beauty in that like any of us who are real enough with ourselves can tell like and can honestly say like yo we just need a lot of work I can say like in my own heart like I need a lot of work man like I am way more desperate than I would ever like to admit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like ever, but like in those places in Christ, I'm way stronger than I could ever be on my own, you know, and learning that surrendering to the Lord and trusting him day by day, moment by moment, that dying to myself part is not actually as bad as people have portrayed it to be. It's actually the most beautiful part of getting to know that God is sufficient for me. Um, it just feels weird. It just, it just feels weird. It feels different, but it's freeing, man. Like in so many ways. For sure, man. And I know I'm going to butcher the quote, but there was a quote (laughs) by Charles Spurgeon where he was like, uh, where he said that, like, if any man thinks ill of you, um, you are far worse than what he thinks of you anyway. So it's like, (laughs) it's one of those things, you know, Facts. <laughs> don't get upset with him because you're way worse than he thinks of you you know and it's understanding <laughs> that that you know dude i know my own heart and like the bible says in jeremiah like it's it's wicked above all else like who can know it you know and when you think about that your heart is wicked your righteous deeds are minstrel rags and yet like <laughs> all this throughout the bible like let's look at david right a man after god's own heart basically what he mm-hmm. did the best sheba is rape like let's be honest like he's checking her out yeah that's that's rape like that you know yeah, what and I mean? you're, like, you're this person in in a high position who yeah right. calls for this shit, one you of know those like, things, yeah. but you look at his unrighteousness and yet you see it in the psalms his heart for god that 
mm-hmm. you know, that desire to know God and, and God choosing him long before, you know what I mean? Like he knew the mistakes. He knew all these things like with Judas choosing him to be a disciple, knowing yeah, he would, you know what he would do. But of course what he did, of course had to be done for Jesus to go to the cross, you know? Yeah. My so thoughts God always just forget that everything guy. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So the way God just works everything out for according to his will is incredible. Mm-hmm. So he's still in control. He's still, even when he's being betrayed and manipulated, that's exactly what had to happen for his will to be done, you know, in the first place. Mm-hmm. So Johnny, I, a lot of the time we'll uh, approach things uh, with a question like, all right, if you, if you were to say that like, uh, I don't know, you understood God in one way, um, and then you've grown to understand him in another way. Um, that's kind of the concept of what we talk Ooh. about on this podcast is just like letting your uh, former false perception of God die off to see him in a new way. Um, yeah, how would you word that? That's really good. Um, wow. I kind of touched on it where I looked at God as if he was just that. He was God. He was king, yet he wouldn't why would he want anything to do with me like i i didn't resent him for that i just okay like there are so many good quote-unquote good people out there that's the way i thought even as a kid like why pick me why why would you want me you know and now realizing of course like i said the father that he is the you know um that, that's who I know God to be, that friend who who is there, who, like as the Bible says, like six closer than a brother, like my Savior, my King, my Lord, like how how could I not serve you, you know, knowing you as the Father that you are at times uh, will discipline me harshly, but like the Bible says, like he disciplines those he loves. Amen. So yeah. it, it's one of those things that I see him as a loving Father, even when life, even when the outside when looking at my life seem like it's falling apart on all ends, realizing it it's, it's nothing new. Like this is stuff I've been through before I've been through this or man, God's going to show up. I know it. And he does. And it just so happens. It's like one of those things that I find myself getting tried in so many different ways where it's, it's really nothing new. Like my wife and I, I mean, we might stress over bills or, or this or that. And it's like, we know God's going to come through. She's way more confident than, than I am at times, you know, where it's like, I don't know, babe, like this is it. Like, I, I don't know if, I don't know. I think this is, you know, and I panic. I, I, I struggle with the anxiety. I struggle with these things. And, you know, um, and, and I, I feel like that's just, that's just human, you know, but knowing that God, you are my father. You're not going to abandon me. You're not going to forsake me. Even though this track record of your church doing these things or, or, or this way, it's like, God, I know you on, on a level that I, I trust you and I, and I love you. And looking back on it, me, I mean, I was a kid, I was young. I was, you know, I was just becoming like a teenager, you know, and just even if as a kid, you know, having that idea, like, why would God want to pick me? Like if we're a line of people, why would he ever want to pick me and say, Hey, I want you to do this or I, I'm going to call you to do this. Like, why? Why would he have a purpose for me? Yeah. And realizing that and that's really the what, you know, what keeps me, keeps my faith strong is knowing that about God and, and seeing that all throughout scripture is the fact like, wait, you called me. Like that's mm-hmm. that first of all, you called me. And you know what I mean? Like if you called me, then, you know, I, I believe you didn't just call me to abandon me. 
exactly. and call me to fulfill this purpose, to to live for you, to serve you. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, you know, mm-hmm. and try to do lead my family in that way, you know. And even with my kids, letting them know at an early age, like God is a father who loves you and will love you more, even more than I can, you know, and, and wants the best for you even more than I do, you know. And that's another thing, too, is putting my children's life in God's hands after losing a child saying, God, like they're yours in the first place and real like getting to that point where it's like, they're yours in the first place. And you are a way better father than I am. Even when I don't understand it, even when this stings and this hurts like hell and I'm just grieving and I'm just broken and I have no idea how you're going to come through. In some ways, I just believe that you will. And you're going to make something out of this mess you're going to make you're, you're going to work and your will is going to be done and i just i need to be better at, res, at um surrendering you know uh mm-hmm. that and i really don't because I, I do want to kind of hold my children as tight as i can and say all right god no but it's one of those things that my life my children my wife they're all in his hands and i trust him now more than i ever have mm-hmm. it's becoming increasingly more clear that like the goal of Christianity is not independence, but total dependence. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus straight up says, like, he who seeks to be greatest in the kingdom must first become servant of all. And, like, with that mentality in the kingdom, the only way up is down. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's like, completely upside down, man. It's completely. Slipped. We see we see Jesus come in and say he, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, the, the God, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, when you think about that, you know? It flips everything upside down because, you know, I heard someone say one time that it's not too often a king would get off his throne and die for one of his servants. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Yeah. Yeah. And to be the example, to be the servant, to be to be in such a lowly state throughout his life, you know, and washing his disciples feet and the feet of the man who will betray him like that's that's heavy, man. Mm hmm. Yeah, man, I loved uh, what you said about just like feeling like, why would Jesus call me? You know, that type of attitude. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I see that more and more as like a requirement, man. Like, uh, you know, yeah. for ministry and like, uh, I mean, really just uh, whenever I hear people say things like that, just like, ah, man, I just don't think I'm good enough or what, you know, whatever it might be. It's like, up oh, all right then you're uh you're you're ready to receive you know like <laughs> you know like you don't have pride in the way of um you know uh of i mean may, maybe it's pride in a different sense you know um of mm-hmm. like thinking too low you know thinking lowly of yourself but ultimately right. just like you know uh when we can get ourselves out of the way and like realize that we have need like calvin said you know like uh mm-hmm. that that you need to depend on God, you know, like you're in a posture where, yeah, like those are the people that Jesus called, you know, like the, the people that admitted just like, uh, yeah, you know, like life is a master. Like I need help. Like I need healing, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I can't do this alone. Like those were the ones that was just like, all right, you know, like come follow me or, you know, like, uh, you, you have great faith. And, um, (laughs) if anything, it was the people that didn't have that heart that Jesus was, uh, just really uh really hardcore you know <laughs> brutal too um with yeah guys. exactly i mean he called way. pharisees like sons of dogs and whitewashed tombs and sons of hell and stuff like that and 
Yeah, exactly. So when you think about that, when you call <laughs> someone man. a son of a, exactly right. You think of the son of God calling someone, you sons of dogs, like you sons of bitches, like, like you know what I mean. Like when you think about, <laughs> do we the know that they were that? female ducks? I don't know. I mean, exactly. So when you think about that, we talked about this before on like another yeah. one of my podcasts um, on the real Scubala, which isn't we're not doing it anymore. But we discussed this, and so when you think about Jewish lineage, when you think about the Pharisees and. Do you know where we're from? Do you know who we are? And Jesus is like, yeah, I do. You sons of bitches. Like, you know what I mean? Like in that, when we think about that, when we, we calling them whitewashed tombs, you know how disrespectful that, I mean, yeah. when you imagine that your lineage, like, you know and, what I mean? And That's these are religious leaders. Very, very yeah. high. Mm-hmm. These are religious men. And he's saying it in front of everybody. Yeah. You whitewashed tombs. It's like, whoa, like loud cap these dudes. Like, wait damn like you know what i mean like and and i think that's what pissed the religious people off so much is mm-hmm. the fact that here jesus is with women and children saying these are going to be like the great like the greatest in heaven like when you see a child let the children come to me you know like what no like <laughs> even his disciples didn't even understand it when you think about it like yeah trying to keep the kids away from jesus jesus is like let them come like what are you doing yeah and jesus just turned everything on its head and it's just like I think that's why it was so shocking and so such a rebellious thing. I mean, here he is healing people on the Sabbath. He went against this whole code, you know, this whole religious code that they were adhering to by being religious. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has even told them, like, you search the scriptures because you, you think they lead to me, yet you refuse to follow me. Like, I think we, you know, we yeah. understand that when we can search and we can dig as deep as we want to. But if our source, if we're not trying to find Christ in it, then man, we're just digging in vain and we're just, you know, and we can, we too can be, be those whitewashed tombs sometimes, you know, for sure. And, uh, man, we realize the the weight of those words that Jesus said and like going through a temple and with a whip, like you didn't hear about anybody fighting back. Like, like that's like, you know what I mean? Like when we think about Jesus, the son of God going through a temple with a whip and flipping tables and nobody's fighting back, dude, he was pissed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> there, there had to be something to that story. Like, yeah, right. Like nobody's wait, nobody's attacking him. There, he's flipping money everywhere. He's like going off, and nobody's trying to stop him. Like you know. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's one of those things, man. It's, yeah, Jesus wasn't a punk, dude. Like, and that's the bad thing is like two thousand years later, we look at Jesus like he's such a sissy, and he can't handle us. And when, mm-hmm. you know, when we, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's pathetic, but that's kind of like. So what some of the church has become, you know, and like so many people look at him like poor little Jesus, <laughs> but he's not like he wasn't. I don't know, man. He's powerful and, you know, all consuming fire, a, a roaring lion, like a conquering lion, a king, man, like that's who, like I, that idea that this conquering lion, this conquering king, and yet somehow we resorted him to this. Beautiful blue, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, little—I don't know. Which that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, anyway, yeah. That's, yeah. I feel like we could keep talking for a while, which is like it's—it's it's cool, you know, that we're not um, stretching for content. <laughs> but this is a bro Yeah, a brodeo. Brodeo. A brodeo. A brodeo. I like it. Yeah. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, um, oh, thank you. Tell us a little bit Thanks, about guys. Uh, where Later. people can find Easy. your stuff. And um, I guess we didn't talk a ton about like the focus of your podcast, but tell us like a little bit about that and how people can check it out. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, so the content of my my podcast is getting others to just share their stories, man. And where you can find that at is everywhere podcasts are heard: um, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Follow me on social media. Look for a Creative Coping Pod on Instagram and Facebook, um, Twitter as well. So, yeah, man, and hopefully you'll uh, enjoy the content that's being created there. And if anyone has a story that they would like to share, um, hit me up. Like, come on the show. I would love to have you as a guest. Well, yeah. thanks, man. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yep. See you, John. Dude, um, I love Johnny's heart a lot. Yeah, um, man. It really speaks to like the fact that like persevering through um i guess like judgment within the church because that's something that even i've like been through personally with yeah growing up in a baptist church and being like black with plugs and facial piercings and things like that like i've experienced what he kind of goes through um i don't talk about it often because like for one like though those things that happen to me like they're they're not who i am you know as a person yeah yeah but do like they hurt when they do happen because a lot of those people, they think they're doing the right thing, but they're, they just are so far from the heart of God to understand that Jesus loves the hearts of people and he's come to transform people. And he's not about how it looks like our self-righteousness don't add to our salvation. Like it's gotta be all him. And when we begin to really value people the way that Jesus does, like those things won't be things that happen. So like my heart kind of breaks when he told me about the people who tried to pray for him and assume things about his character that just weren't true before even asking him his testimony of how the Lord's even changed his life or where he's at. Like that's really hard. I've yeah. had that happen. And um, with that being the case, like I want to like apologize to any one of our listeners out there who have been through that. Um, because it's, it's, especially early on in your faith, is not an easy thing to walk through, to feel as if, like, Jesus wants you, but everyone else is like, no, and having to wrestle through that. But I'm glad that he stuck it out. And in him sticking yeah. it out, he found the deeper heart of God and is actually able to give that to people in a way that opens the door rather than closes it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's totally, some legit perseverance with that. Yeah, to like kind of have bad experience after bad experience, like that's that's brutal, you know. But it's brutal. At the same time, like there is, I I can, I can never get away from the fact that like Jesus Himself established the church, you know. Like and um, yeah, just believing that like even if most of the time we get it wrong, um, or you know, if if a lot of uh, the time I have bad experience, you know, just yeah, ju- just having hope and trust that there is the church as Jesus intended it to be, you know, and that we can be a part of the solution, you know, um, and just walk with people, you know, hear people out and not try to fix things, but like just be with them. Yeah. Because like, dude, as, as broken as we've seen the church be, there is such a beauty in it when it's done right and when it's actually surrendered. Yeah, yeah that's it's so well worth being a part of and like anything with family like you don't pick family like yeah so you do kind of in a way you like in romans 15 it says that we the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak Mm 
um, in a way that Jesus lived his life, not living to please himself, but like living his life as a sacrifice for the good of other people. Mm -hmm. um, that becomes hard sometimes for people who've endured just pain after pain after pain after pain. But when you actually, I guess, really, really dig into who Jesus was as a person, he endured the exact same thing. And like, he's not calling you to do something that he himself didn't do or model out. And because, I mean, if Christ lived his life the way that most of us did in the way that I did early on, like Jesus would be a basket case and no one could counsel him. Like, mm -hmm. you imagine Jesus saying, like, you know, I really just try super hard to, like, you know, just love people. And I try to invite them in, but no one wants to invite me. They're kicking me out. They're calling me everything that I'm not. Like, and even you guys, like, you're my friends and I love you all. But, like, you guys don't even believe me. Like, like if that was the Jesus that, <laughs> if that was a Jesus that we knew, praise God, he's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, if, if him and the father's relationship, if, like, relationship with the father was not a priority in his heart, he wouldn't be sufficient to be who he is. Mm -hmm. And if he could endure those things and still accomplish his purpose, and I think it gives us a little bit of hope to understand that we can do the same. Um, and the pain isn't pointless. If mm -hmm. there is pain, like it's not going to be wasted at all. Yeah. And it's going to produce something good, not only glorious for God, but good for us too. And that's something we can only do by faith, I guess. Well, dude, thanks uh, thanks for doing this, Calvin. Yeah, man. I appreciate dude, thanks it. Thanks for having me again. And it, it feels so good to be back. Yeah. Testimonies, like, you, you hear so many of them, but, like, no two are exactly the same. And I think that's... That's why our podcast will probably reach so like another two hundred episodes. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, Lord I mean, willing. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. You can find the link to Johnny's podcast in the description of this episode, as well as a link to his poetry. This is one of Johnny's newest singles called "Torches." It's been three weeks since the last time I wrote. Yeah, so much for remaining consistent. I know. I know that procrastination is only an obstacle in the way. A thick wall that I have climbed so many times that I'm surprised I hadn't conquered it by today. And these pages have remained empty without even the slightest stroke of my pen. And maybe it's the fear and doubt that keep me from completing even the simplest of assignments. And better yet, where do I begin? It's these questions on my mind that stifle the progression of the right words that are already so hard to find. Look, I've got a habit of undermining myself and overthinking, so maybe that's the reason for my current state of being. A dilemma that I have found, is there any way to write without seriously breaking down? Because I haven't found an easier way to let these words out. As you can see, this really has a way of provoking me, but knowingly I couldn't give it up if I tried. When these words don't come easily for me, it's like pulling teeth every time, but I fight to memorize for a chance to speak. And I'll find that even if I'm the only one who stands in my way, it's me against myself before anyone else even has a chance to criticize what I have to say. And sometimes my mind is a barricade that this muse can't penetrate. Distraction after distraction keeps me from what I need to create. But in order to get it done, maybe I should turn off this phone so I don't waste another minute of coming undone and feeling like a failure. I'm losing sleep, running helter-skelter. When lying, I lie restless in my domestic shelter. But this is only the inception of what it takes to really craft something that will be able to survive longer when your last day has come to pass. So at least it is for me. 
It's known that without vision the people perish, but for too long I've been misdirected, so it's time to realign myself with the bolder message and get back to the basics where I didn't have anything to lose but my patience. I cannot believe I am still here saying this. But more surprised than me are those who refuse to believe in what I could achieve using only my ability to speak. So like a match lit from my lips, I have used these words as torches to pierce through the dense smog of incoherence and ignorance. A beacon in the dead of night, while the captains of these ships struggle to find their way, I have witnessed these words act as a lighthouse to help guide those wandering, weary souls to bay. And if by some chance I have given you a sense of hope, rest assured that I will continue to do so, though disconsolate you may seem to feel. Raise your voice when you're afraid and show fear that you're not intimidated to stand in its face. Feet planted and eyes locked in such a gaze that will be sure to drive those same cowardice fears away. And now make your way to the stage with butterflies in your stomach, gut-wrenching like you're about to vomit, taking the focus off your trembling knees because someone you may not know is depending on you to be the light in their time of need. So don't let it be doused. Don't be the one to put your own light out. As a matter of fact, you should ignite like a spark in an enormous forest during a drought in the middle of August because you are a juggernaut. So remain impervious by your nervousness. And in learning this, you can become worryless when tempted to spew anything less than glorious. And in such a cold, cold world, may your words be torches. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to see what else we're up to, uh, to listen to past episodes, you can head over to LetGodDie.com. And if you want to check out the extended cut of this episode, search Let God Die on YouTube. If you'd like to help us continue doing what we do, you can head over to LetGodDie.com and click on the support tab. Any contribution would be much appreciated. Thank you so much for your time, and we will see you next week.